I'd love to hear why, you know, why you get branded a heretic. Well, um, that reason has evolved a lot, obviously. <laughs> right, I as think, these things do. Yeah. I think for me, my first experience uh, of starting to get people to either explicitly call me a heretic or infer it was around the time I started becoming more vocal about my disbelief in eternal hell. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's a few things that you don't question. And if you do, you start, you know, swatting at the hornet's nest and they go crazy. They Number do. one, you don't question hell. No. Number two, you don't touch with the Bible and mess with inerrancy. Nope. And number three, when it comes to LGBTQIA inclusion, if you start to, to preach that, oh my gosh, get out of here. You know, yep. it's like those three things I feel like. like the uh, heresy trinity or something. Right, that heretical trinity. That's perfect. My name is Leo WT, and you have found your way to the Conversations Podcast. Conversations exist to create spiritually minded conversations about life. We desire to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome at the conversation. Um, but for those of you who are just joining us on YouTube and Facebook, I am Leo Walters Tahera, and this is my friend Derek. I am going to let him introduce himself, and we will get ourselves started here for tonight's conversation. In case you're here for the first time, uh, Conversations is a safe space to have spiritually-minded conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Uh, we're not scared of where that takes us, and we're not afraid to follow the conversation to a place of integrity and honesty, even if that scares the institution. So I'm going to let my friend introduce himself and then we're going to start chatting. Thanks, Leo. Yeah, I, I love that, by the way, the, the intersection, not being afraid to go where questions take us. And, you know, I think that that uh, is very relatable for a lot of our experiences. Um, yeah, I'm Derek. My wife, Rachel, and I run an account called Your Favorite Heretics. Uh, it started on Instagram. And uh, back in July of last year, we, we uh, you know, were kind of knees deep in deconstruction. And um, for a while, we're kind of in different places spiritually and, and our own sort of, you know, process, if you will. Uh, and we found ourselves kind of at a crossroads where we were starting to be in similar spots. And uh, Rachel actually had the idea. She wanted to start a little page called Your Favorite Heretic. And then she was like, you know, why don't we do it together and call it Your Favorite Heretic? So I love it. The whole intention that we had the whole time was we wanted to do something that would be um, really geared toward friends and family. And, you know, if it went anywhere else, that that was OK. But our, our intention was genuinely to save time from having to answer, you know, several DMs. Right. People who, right. you know, you were in former church communities are like, wait a minute, you're in sin. You're falling away. You know, heretic, yep. all the you know, the yep. whole list of uh, scare tactics to try to reel you back in. So um, it was kind of like, okay, instead of having to exhaust ourselves answering these people and the whole coffee date, right? Come oh. on, for coffee. Let's just grab coffee. I want to hear about how life is. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this uh, such a thing? <laughs> we actually, uh, not to, shameless plug. We actually have, I'm wearing one of our pieces of merch. 
Yeah. We actually have a piece of merch that says, no, I don't want to grab coffee. So uh, we actually have a coffee mug and some other stuff. It's kind of fun, but. That may be uh, in my shopping cart on your website. Uh, and we'll have, at the end, we're going to have you drop all of your socials, put get, put all of your information out there. And then I'll also put that in the show notes for the podcast and in the uh, comments for the YouTube and everything. We'll make sure that gets shared so people can check out that merch. So. Cool, cool. Well, anyway, uh, all that aside, you know, through through different people approaching us and asking us what was going on, uh, you know, we wanted to consolidate our experience into one place to refer people to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were a few posts in and sharing different things. And we kind of just decided to share, share on something called church trauma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, definitely weren't the first people to talk about it. Um, but I think we touched a nerve and it just people resonated with it and it kind of went mini viral, if you will. Um, And it was shared thousands of times on Facebook and Instagram and, and that it kind of just set things off for us. But um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I find to be incredibly rewarding and something that I, I still haven't quite wrapped my uh, mind around why us kind of thing is getting to, to meet so many beautiful people who have had, uh, these these experiences through church trauma and uh, a lot of um, you know being confronted with horrible toxic theology mm-hmm. and uh, realizing that this is this is happening all over the place. So many people are experiencing this disillusionment, and so many survivors of abuse um, are having to face uh, being silenced and and being gaslit. And, um, you know, not allowing for their voices to be heard. So in a lot of senses, we want to help give voice to people who have felt like they've not been believed. Yeah. And, and many people, especially in the beginning stages would DM us and said, I've never shared any of this with anybody else. And there was, there are stories that would just rip your heart apart, you know? And so I, I share all that because what started as something that was not really intended to be much else other than kind of a a reference point for our immediate circle of friends and family kind of took on a life of its own. And so that's a little bit of the background of us. Um, Yeah. So I, um, I had a similar experience. So conversations as an entity has actually existed for about 10 years now. Um, conversations was my attempt to not have to go to a shitty church once I moved back uh, to, to rural Pennsylvania and Western New York from the city. Uh, Cause I went to college in New York city. I went to Nyack college and I majored in pastoral ministry, which is a shit ass time to come out <laughs> as a lesbian. And I was like, whoop. And then I just decided to keep coming out. I came out as translator and then as non-binary. And now I'm actually re-coming out as a, a person who has a stake in the realm of religion. So it's, it's kind of a reverse coming out here uh, my fourth time around, but here we are. Um, and so conversations was essentially my, the fleshing out of my capstone project for my pastoral ministry degree. So it was, if you would start a church, what would you do? What would it look like? Like I have a whole business plan and conversations did meet in person regularly for spiritually minded conversation for, for, you know, the better part of 10 years. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it just it really ended up being a gaggle of queer people that would gather <laughs> in um in like the basement of Episcopal churches and talk about things and like being like, can we can we talk about that here? But we did. Um, and the same things that I see coming out of 
church in a beneficial way were happening through conversations. Um, what happened to really set us off, uh, by us, I mean me, I say us so I don't sound like a narcissist, uh, <laughs> but what really happened to set us off was last year during the uh, pandemic, I made a video because there is a local pastor in town who uh, he's, I've done side-by-side -side videos like tearing apart his sermons on my YouTube feed. If anybody wants to watch them, Conversations Official on YouTube. Uh, but he decided that he was going to preach that Black Lives Matter was evil. And it was because they supported LGBTQ people who are also evil and going to hell. And so yeah. I had I had a little bit of time between a haircut and a color. So I just took my phone outside and I, I gave like an eight minute off the top of my head soliloquy that changed my life because that video went viral. Um, so at the, by the time the first day was over, it had 10,000 um, 10, views and like a thousand shares on Facebook, which like I've never had anything go even remotely viral before, but it, it got to this place where the, the next day when I woke up 14,000 videos and there's only 13,000 people in my town just for comparative measures. Wow. Um, wow. So it'd be the point where I'd be going through the Dunkin' Donuts drive-through and the person would hand me my coffee crying and being like, oh my God, like, thank you for that video. It meant so much to me. And then he went, you know, the pastor went back and forth and made videos misgendering me intentionally, several videos. I actually am proud to have inspired an entire five sermon series on why gay people are going to hell. Yes, that was me. I did that. I'm very proud of it. Um, wow. But that was the moment where I knew kind of how you had touched a wire. That was where I touched a wire. And I knew that people needed what conversations was offering and they needed it in a way that they could get during the pandemic so I started the podcast and YouTube channel um, and since then it's been non-stop you know I've uh, made it a point to interview as many different people as possible we've had like LGBTQ Muslims uh, we had a queer rabbi uh, we've taught we've talked to experts in systemic racism uh, people who run like African-American uh, heritage co-op in Buffalo New York um, all sorts of different people because all of these things are spiritual. Wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, spiritual church, not church, spiritual, because I believe that there's always more happening than just what we can taste, touch, see, or smell. And I also believe that American evangelicalism doesn't get to have the loudest voice or the sole voice in that conversation, right? And so Absolutely. I got to a point, especially with this pastor, which the reason that I'm even that anyone knows who I am on TikTok is because this pastor, uh, I made a video in front of his church and they had a sign that said his name was Jesus. And so I was like, so I made a video and it basically said, so this pastor likes to misgender me. So I just thought I'd stop my day and fix his sign. And then I snapped. And when it snapped, I made it say his name is Leo and his pronouns are they them. Just, I love that. <laughs> oh my god! It went wild. But what I'm finding on every different platform is there are so many people who need to hear what is being said, and they need space to be able to be a spiritually minded person without the confines um, and constraints that are placed on them by judgmental others or by worries about orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Like, you don't have to know it all or do it all right to come to the table. And I really think that there's more similar than there is different when it comes to how we engage with different religions. So um, that's why I'm a heretic. I'd love to hear why, you know, why you get branded a heretic. Well, um, that reason has evolved a lot, obviously. <laughs> right, I as think, these things do. Yeah, I think for me, my first experience, uh, 
of starting to get people to either explicitly call me a heretic or infer it was around the time I started becoming more vocal about my disbelief in eternal hell. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's a few things that you don't question. And if you do, you start, you know, swatting at the hornet's nest and they go crazy. Number one, you don't question hell. Number two, you don't touch with the Bible and mess with inerrancy. Number three, when it comes to LGBTQIA inclusion, if you start to to preach that, oh my gosh, get out of here. You know, it's like those three things, I feel like. like The uh, heresy trinity or something. Right. That heretical trinity. That's perfect. Um, So anyway, it just happened to be around hell. And I remember it was when my, uh, my first son was born. I, I just was starting to have these questions that started bubbling up. Like I could never imagine my son doing anything that would cause me to want to abandon him or even more so personally inflict harm on him, not just temporarily, but eternally mm-hmm. because he didn't receive my love or didn't love me back or did something so outlandish. I don't care what horrible things that he would ever do. I would never want to see him not just harmed temporarily, but harmed forever. Absolutely. Either I'm more merciful than God or there's something completely fucked with my theology. Absolutely. And and so I I started to uh, stumble upon different people. There was, uh, you know, a, a theologian, Peter Hyatt out of Colorado, I first started seeing some videos that he had that I found were very, very helpful. And then I started uh, stumbling upon people like William Paul Young and Brad mm-hmm. Jersak. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, you know, later on, it was like David Bentley Hart and some other people who were just mm-hmm. phenomenally, phenomenally brilliant people yeah, uh, unpacking uh, just that topic. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I just, it really was... And I think many people feel this way as they start to reckon with how harmful certain theological ideas that we were handed are. It's like waking up from a really bad dream, right? And you're like, oh shit, what? This is, and you begin to start putting the pieces together. The light bulb goes on and you're like, I've got to tell everyone. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is horrible. Yeah. So for me, it was like this fire was ignited in me. And it's like, number one, I don't want the divine to be painted in that way because no. there's no way. Yep. There's no way. And, and number two, I don't want people to live under that terror. Mm-hmm. I remember even myself there, you know, I, uh, one of the things that has been uh, an unfortunate companion of mine over the years has been um, OCD. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was diagnosed with OCD uh, formally a couple of years ago, but have been dealing with it my whole life. And I just thought it was general anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the clearest ways it was manifesting for a good while was, um, scrupulosity or religious OCD. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was times where it was like, I was living in an actual hell mm-hmm. where I was so internally tormented about the idea. Am I doing enough for God? Mm-hmm. Am I doing enough to have the divine uh, be pleased with me and accept me and love me? Yeah. And it was like, I could never do enough for Jesus. Yeah. I could never share the gospel with enough people. I could never read my Bible enough. I could never repent of enough. I had to find more sin to examine. And 
the on and on and on, it was like, I was running 10 miles an hour on the treadmill. Now you have to run 15. Are you mm -hmm. running 15? You should be running 20, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like this endless sort of ramping up to where you never reach the bar. It's relentless. Um, and you know what? You know what's dangerous is that's kind of the structure of of evangelicalism and fundamentalism. It's also the structure of capitalism and nationalism and patriarchy, but that's separate topics. Funny how how those are similar, right? Funny, right? Weird. <laughs> but this structure is set up so that we are lacking, we are shit, and we got to keep coming back week after week. And I don't have diagnosed OCD, and I've woken up in the middle of the night thinking I need to repent because if I die, like, it's serious right. going to hell. So I can only right. imagine how much more that was coming out for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really was. And I kid you not. I mean, it was like during the thick of it was a good couple of years where it felt like each and every day was living in the deepest pit of darkness. Like I was so en en ensconced or en just entrenched in this mm -hmm this heaviness, like mm -hmm. it was, it was crushing my soul. Yeah. And through that, I realized that, um, I, you know, I was so afraid of what if Jesus came back in that moment when I'm having these gnawing doubts and fears and questions and, you know, this whole crisis and, he, you know, Jesus would send me to hell. Like, so there's so many people similar to the, that. And I've, I've had several people, even on our heretics page, be like, oh my gosh, I've dealt with religious OCD and I didn't even realize it. And what are some resources that I could, you know, find out more about. Right. But the whole thing is, is that like you even said, you don't even have to have a, a formal diagnosis of OCD for you to know that these, this, this harmful theology has a, a, a real negative, uh, an even abusive and traumatic effect on people. Yes. It's, it is tangible. Like bad theology has tangible effects. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, it was, again, that, that was kind of before my formal deconstruction, but that was the beginning of some things starting to turn over. Right. right. And, you know, again, it, for some strange reason, there is this romantic sort of and, and in a deranged way like a romanticizing of an angry retributive god that is bloodthirsty and yes. vengeful and it's like any sort of depiction of god as as um, modeled by jesus like the sermon on the mount and all mm -hmm. of the ways that jesus was on the sidelines of society embracing people who were looked at as outcasts mm -hmm. like that is completely ignored by american evangelicalism a hundred percent and they've elevated this nationalistic faith that promotes a picture of god that is all centered in this strange conspiracy woven revelation-esque yes horrible theology that has nothing to do with revelation anyway and um, it's so what's crazy about that is that is not even traditional historical Christian thought. 
No, that's not it. I just recorded a video for TikTok. Sorry, TikTok, you're getting a preview of this. It'll be on my feed later. But I recorded a video about someone asked me what is like the social gospel. And I was talking about how like if you look at Judaism, which, you know, Christianity is modeled after. And then I put a parentheses like let's not even talk about the ancient Sumerians, but that's a whole nother day. Um, But I put, you know, I said like in ancient Judaism, salvation is a communal concept. And we've just Americanized it to be like this individualistic thing. And people don't realize that, like you said, it's a nationalistic faith. And this is not even what what is being taught, especially in evangelical churches, is is not even linked to church history at all. And, And that was like the beginning of my deconstruction. And now I'm like in left field, like, Hey, maybe the Quran is equally as valuable. Um, but, but I started, I started just in college joking about how you couldn't even whisper, whisper the phrase biblical inerrancy without getting kicked out of my college, you know, because, because (laughs) how dare you question this, um, what is essentially become an idol to American evangelicals, you know? So, um, I love that you talked about, you know, eternal conscious torment, the idea of hell being eternal conscious torment is being something that um, needs to be deconstructed because it's it's not biblical. News news flash for anybody who's watching, but the idea of eternal conscious torment is not in the Bible. Um, You know, I love that you talked about that because I feel like that's a place that we need to start with because otherwise the bad theology puts us in this place of living in conscious torment, you know? Absolutely. It's it's that idea of if you're living with this hanging in the balance, your current reality is essentially so high stakes, yep. right? Yep. It's the it's the whole Pascal wager, you know, mm-hmm. where you feel like, oh, I better not fuck up what I believe, or else I'm going to end up in in torment for eternity. Literally, yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's it's it's the more and more I've gone throughout this process, the more I see that the linchpin that is holding everything together within American evangelicalism is fear. Yes. It's fear. Say it again, man. And and it's such an antithesis to what the gospel really should be, right? Love. Mm -hmm. And like, talk about polar extremes. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that when we when we get a, a worldview that's so clouded by fear, mm-hmm. there's no room for ambiguity or gray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's only this dualistic right or wrong, black and white way of looking at everything. Yeah. To where if you question anything, I mean, you, you can see how the church is responding to deconstruction, yes. right? Yes. They're either trying to, 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 um, you know, use it as a way to spin it and, and profit off it. No. Nope. <laughs> or, or they're trying to, to invalidate it altogether. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that they're not going to be successful in, in yeah. doing that. And, but, but again, it, it all goes back to fear and undoing the root of fear is really the process of begin, beginning to liberate oneself. Absolutely. I mean, and if you look at the narrative that's been spun just from the just from the creation narratives, plot twist for those who are watching, there's multiple creation narratives in the Bible. I'm just gonna be throwing out a lot of these for you. But if you look at the creation narrative that's in the beginning, American evangelicalism has said, Eve took the fruit from the knowledge of good and evil. It's all Eve's fault. Literally, the crux of evangelical theology is based on not asking questions 
not touching the tree of knowledge. And right. I think that um, that is fun. That is a fundamental flaw because if you're going to have anything worth believing, especially anything worth worth living for, especially anything worth telling other people, you better fucking know what you're talking about. And that is true of our faith as well. But American evangelicalism and, and, and Christianity and modernity is literally based on don't ask questions. And you can see Absolutely. that exemplified by how we interpret the creation narrative. Well, and I think that if you look throughout the span of church history and even in like pre-church history, like even during biblical times, if you will, the times where you see the most harm being done in the name of God is a lot of times when there's these power structures at play to where there's the religious elite and there's the people who don't have the answers, don't know the scriptures enough, don't et cetera, et cetera. And these people in power prey on those who are supposed it's supposed to be an equal playing field right absolutely and so i mean most recently or notably i guess you can go back 500 years to the time where you know the protestant reformation happened and you know the whole taking of penances you know masses in latin you know there was this huge uh, chasm between you know the educated and uneducated but when that was taken away when uh, you know, maybe the one good thing that Luther allowed to come about was the, the Bible being translated in the, the colloquial tongue, mm -hmm. you know, that brought about to where people can actually access scripture for themselves and come yep. to their own conclusions and yep. question yep. authority yep. and not allow for, uh, you know, the elite and power structures to take advantage, not just monetarily, but spiritually. Yes. And I think we've, we're in a place in a, in a time where our access to information, and obviously it's a double-edged sword, you know, we're up uh, against yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I say that with that caveat, but we're, we're able to access still good, credible scholarship at ease. We don't have to go to a library. We don't have to, you know, we can access things in such a quick amount of time but what yeah, that not only do we have access to books but we don't even have to go get the books we can just look them up on this computer in our hand <laughs> exactly instantly right and so anyway the, the whole point is that you know where spiritual tradition that you know christianity has arisen from has gotten you know there's there's that cyclical pattern of the institution getting really powerful and taking advantage of people who are feel some uh in being indebted to them in some capacity either for a need to in order to be connected to to god or uh whatever it may be so the whole thing that i love that deconstruction is accomplishing is allowing for people to reclaim their agency Absolutely. is allowing people to have spiritual freedom and autonomy to be able to come to conclusions that are heretical, that are mm -hmm. heterodoxical, doxical, yes. that yes. are unconventional. Because at the end of the day, that's the, those are the people that are the forerunners of the future's orthodoxy, yes. if you want to get really formal here. Absolutely. So anyway. I 100% agree with that. And that's one of the reasons that 
I came up with a title that I really hope is clickbait because both of us need to go viral. But also it's so it's so spot on because I really believe that being a heretic is a holy act. And I hope people jump on me for that. Because if you look back in the Greek, I, um, this was in the beginning of one of Rob's, Rob Bell's book. I want to say Love Wins, but like, oh God, I just said Rob Bell. So most fun <laughs> I love Rob have already pushed me out of the sideways you know what I mean but uh in one of the beginning of one of his books I think it's love wins he talks about the what heretic means in Greek and it essentially means like one who wants to know essentially yeah, like yeah. one who wants to study one who wants to learn one who wants to know and I think that if you are going to have anything worth believing you should want to know everything about it and you should have the autonomy to go into learn and to do you know everybody's like oh yeah the mass you know mass should should have been in the language of the people and the bible should be available but then the second i want to read the bible and tell you that i've actually done some serious scholarly study and i have a different thought than you you all of a sudden think that the, the bible shouldn't be available to the, to the people you know what i mean yeah but i think it is a holy act I think it is, in fact, a sacrament to take your religion and to say why, and not to get the answer from another person, but for you to sit with it, for you to dialogue about it, for you to chew on it, and for you to let those thoughts engage with how you uh, see the world, act in the world, what you do in the world. That's a holy act. I think being a heretic is something that ultimately you should aspire to because we should all be intellectual, have intellectual integrity and intellectual Absolutely. honesty in our in our spiritual pursuits whatever they may be you know what i mean i i agree wholeheartedly and i think that again going back to what we were saying earlier when you have when you remove the high stakes the fear of what if i get it wrong and end up in hell and that's debunked there's this breath of fresh air this yeah. ah, this sigh of relief like there's not this pressure weighing on me to get all the answers right. I can have more questions than answers, and that's okay. Yes. That's really okay. That's great. And, it is, in fact, admirable. Yeah. And so there's this, I don't know. And, 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 and again, uh, you know, I want to be sensitive to our viewers, but I almost find it very similar to when Jesus said the kingdom belongs to the little ones, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's this playful childlike uh, curiosity about the cosmos and, and existence and ourselves and the world and the divine and our, our desires and our, our, our sexuality and our purpose and our, you know, all these things that, that, that matter, but there's not a, you need to answer these questions like me or else yes exactly. you can you can explore you're free to arrive at, at at different places and guess what you're as loved and accepted and you belong no matter where you end up yes and i'm i'm actually um, working on a book at the moment which i don't know if it'll end up being like my thesis but my goal is to to get my phd in queer theology that's <clears throat> when I say queer theology, I, I need people to understand I'm not just talking about orientation. What I am talking about when I'm talking about the act of queering is the dissolution of binaries that are artificially placed because the mm -hmm. world doesn't function in a binary nature. If you look in nature, it's not this or that. It's not one or the other very infrequently, right? And right. I think that people have made church one or the other so that they can declare it's a power imbalance so that they can 
declare who's in and who's out, right? But I think church originally was a queer place. And what I mean by queer place is it was decentralized. If you look at the church in antiquity, if you look at how um, it, newsflash it wasn't christianity first right christianity wasn't a thing until way later on but if you look at the 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 roots of judaism right pre-temple periods pre-both temple periods the religion happened in the fields on altars in people's houses in their living rooms around their dinner tables while they were watching their sheep church was decentralized church was queer originally Church was a thing and faith was a thing and, and, and spiritual community was a thing that happened outside of the institution. The only reason, in my humble opinion, the only reason that the institution came about was to centralize and consolidate power. Mm. And I think that we have bastardized what faith is. And, and I have to put a caveat out there that I'm speaking from a Christian language because that is my first language. But when I'm saying this, um, this idea for me, blows out to all of spirituality and religion, right? Is this idea of consolidation of power to control who's in and who's out. And I think the value of the heretics is to be like, no, you know what I mean? Like, no, because I believe that we have, we need to actively return or actively queer what church is. And by church, I mean, moments of intellectual and spiritual connection, right? that needs to be queered because it was never supposed to be in the hands of the few. It was always supposed to be in the hands of the many. And I feel like the heretics are the real ones doing the work to hold to that value of saying like, why, why you and why not me? And I'm not saying I should be the head of everything, but I'm just saying why you and why not me? And if you get offended by that question, you probably benefit from some sort of privilege that you don't want to admit you have. Amen to that. That's so true. It's it's just a thing. And like, they want to keep us separated. That's another part about the institution. And another reason that heretics have value is because if we can find each other as other heretics, and we can continue to ask questions, we can create safe space for other people to have questions, and for the results to not be so anxiety producing. Because right. like, you know, I'm sure that I'm sure that you felt this. And it was also something that I felt when I first started. I was like, I'm the only one. It's me and I'm going to hell. Because at that point I still believed in it. Not we're in, we're in a whole other boat now. But yeah. heretics are in essence building the church by creating community that is intentionally designed for safe as, as a safe space for spiritual conversation. Yeah, that's beautiful. And and I we align as well. Uh, you know, one of the first words that we thought of to describe kind of the mission, if you will, of Mm -hmm. what we were getting after is to create a safe space for people deconstructing and recovering from church trauma. Yeah. And, you know, I think that so many of us have not known what it's like to have our nervous systems unactivated in a spiritual environment to not feel like we're in a position of where we have to, you know, kind of sleep with one eye open, if you will, like always being on guard of, you know, are we going to be receiving some teaching or some signaling of exclusion or, you know, judgment or whatever it may be uh, that's that we're familiar with in fundamentalism. The, The whole idea is that 
safety honestly is foreign to us. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, yeah. and, um, you know, I think that that's why these spaces like you're doing and, and what we're trying to do and so many other wonderful people are trying to get after is, is, is tr trying to form genuine connectivity to one another that it, it's not about fitting a mold or it's about breaking the mold. It's about, right. you know, taking the, the, the lid off and mm -hmm. completely letting everyone loose and free. Yeah, I think that's another thing that, you know, along with the value of heresy, another thing I wanted to talk to you about is that emotional trauma and mental trauma that we go through when we try to break away from these systems. And I know that this um, in particular is not exclusive to Christianity. This is something that people experience when they come from all sorts of different spiritual backgrounds that, that uh, thrive on being cloistered, right? And I think the idea of religious trauma is very real. And so I'm glad that we're having this conversation because I think that's another conversation that needs to be had because there is a very real collective trauma that happens when you leave the center of everything you've ever known. Mm -hmm. And and I would love to just kind of talk a little bit more about that because I feel like that's something that, um, you know, I've really personally had to go through that. The whole, when I, when I first came out, um, I let myself be subject to not one, not two, but three actual exorcisms. Because my whole standpoint was they're not going to say I didn't try it right now jury's still out like like I've, I've since transitioned and I identify as non-binary so either the exorcisms were shit or they were so good like I'm a man now the jury's still out but um but I I put myself through that because I didn't I really at that point was on the fence 50 50 like I thought there might be a chance that 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 might really be a cataclysmic shift that moved me away from being queer. And mm -hmm. I, I, it makes me feel sad to admit that now, but I, I let myself go through that. And there were many people who are happy to put me through that, right, in the name of Christian love. And I think that um, when you come up from a out of a place where, where you are really told you have to fit that mold, um, there's a certain amount of emotional turmoil. And it really is, like you said, sleeping with one eye open, it's the same thing as being in an abusive relationship. Mm. When is the other foot gonna drop? When are they gonna walk through the door happy or are they gonna walk through the door angry? Is this the day they're going to use? Like all of these different abusive situations that people find themselves in do the same things to our nervous systems that living with abusive partners or abusive others does. And I, I think that people don't always talk about, we talk about the emotional a lot, but there are really physical side effects to that too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it starts even from the very early stages when that whole shitty theology of original sin is introduced to uh, children that, hey, you're just born wicked and mm -hmm. sinful and, you know, just your, your heart's deceitful and all these, I mean, what a horrible thing horrible. to teach a child yeah. to distrust themselves and to be skeptical of their desires and their thoughts. I mean, to this day, I struggle making decisions largely, I think, because I've been so fucking hardwired yeah. that I can't trust myself, yeah. yep. that, that's, that I'm inherently going to fuck something up cosmically or whatever yeah. that 
You know, I remember I used to pray about what fucking size drink I should get at Starbucks. That's how bad it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, ridiculous. It's funny, but it's and, at the same is, time. But the system set up to reinforce that chemical imbalance that you already have. Right, right. And so my point is, is that, you know, when you, when you indoctrinate someone so heavily from a young age, and even if one's experience with Christianity was even from, you know, an older, older age, like my mm-hmm. wife didn't convert, convert to Christianity until she was 20 okay. and very short stint within Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was enough for her to experience trauma herself. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it all looks different for different people. And, but I think the important part is to, number one, we're huge advocates of finding uh, you know, therapists, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's actually a really great group The the, um, the religious trauma Institute is wonderful. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. Yes. Uh, and then also the reclamation, uh, reclamation collective, uh, mm-hmm. both are, are phenomenal. They're, they're connected, but, uh, we've done some work with reclamation collective in particular. Uh, my wife just spoke, spoke to, uh, Dr. Laura Anderson on okay. Sunday. Okay. Um, who is one of the co-founders of Religious Trauma Institute, I believe. And um, anyway, all that to be said, there are, you know, it's it's so amazing uh, as well to be able to also move into advocating for mental health as well, because I know so many of us growing up, we're told it's just a sin issue. It's just a spiritual. Right, away. right. right. Oh yeah, problem solved. Here's a verse, you know, Ooh, oh, I feel better now. That's all it took. Holy yeah. shit, that was all it took, bro. My depression is gone. You know? Gone. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I mean, I, again, what I think is so consistent across the board of what many of us are advocating for as well is, is healing. We all want to be more ourselves, more intimate with who we are. Because a lot of our upbringing, we were taught, hey, it's not safe to be who you are. Absolutely. Who you are is bad, yep. right? Who you are is not enough. Who you are is not good enough to God, not good enough for your community around you, not good enough for you being able to live a meaningful life. Absolutely. And all of that is harmful. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, those are all, those are all thoughts. Those, those thoughts of you not having enough within you to, for what you need. I think that in my estimation and with the place I've come to with reading my specific religious text, um, and as a side note, it's not that I will only ever read the Bible or that I only have read the Bible, but um, I'm trying to get that shit down first and then we'll move on to other books, right? Um, I'm not trying to be cloistered in the Bible, but I am, it is the first language that I speak, whether I like it or not. So I'm trying to understand it the best I can. But I believe the more I read the Bible, uh, I think the Bible is about these cycles of institutions um, gaining power, becoming massive, uh, overtaking people, uh, you know, making people downtrodden. And I think the Bible and the good news of the gospel is deliverance from the institution that makes you feel like you're not enough as who you are. Absolutely. And that's a yeah. radically different gospel than I was taught. Absolutely. And, and I think that's why Jesus was such a radical because there was no hint of violence, no 
sort of military conquest uh, that, you know, so many wanted him to be this, you know, riding on a horse with a sword in hand, coming ready to slay the Romans. And intentionally through symbols and through, you know, various acts, communicating, I'm, I'm going to bring peace Mm -hmm. and I am willing to oppose this mimetic bent of within society that I think we see, uh, you know, gravity, we all gravitate in some capacity toward this scapegoaty, you know, this, this bloodthirst almost like, oh, here's someone we we need to, you know, take out all of our aggression on them kind of thing. And, um, you know, with, with what the kingdom was presented to be like was completely upside down from any sort of that, you know, it's all about the powerful and, you know, uh, survival of the fittest kind of thing. And, and really about elevating those, the poor, the needy, the, the widow, the orphan, the, you know, um, uh, the sex worker, the, whoever it may be that is seen as like, you know, the, people don't understand how radical it was for Jesus to have lunch with a tax collector. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like some of these things that are so lost in, in our modern understanding or yep. historically speaking was such a radical act of compassion. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, like you said, when, when we can embody that same kind of love and, and peacemaking and, and generous spirit, mm-hmm. right? So many people are going to feel like they belong that have never felt like they've had permission to belong. Yes. Yeah. And I, I like to refer to the gospel as the Gravitron. I don't know if you've ever been to a county fair or to a carnival, but did you ever go on or see that ride? I can't go on that ride. Oh, oh bad the news. Thing right. that spins around the thing and that like, spins yeah. around and it sucks you to the wall. The gospel is like the Gravitron, sans the puking. But but the <laughs> further, the further the more the gospel ramps up, the more gas you give the gospel, the further it pushes you to the margins. Mm. And I think that. Um, in modern spirituality as a whole, and in modern uh, ethos as a whole, particularly in Western ethos, because this is not something you necessarily see in a non-Western perspective, but in a Western perspective, it's this, it's this institutionalism, and it's this, this centralization and consolidation of power, and you don't see that rampant, like, individual consolidation, and it by individual, yes. I mean either like either like corporations or individual people. You don't see that necessarily in other societies. You see communal value. You see tribal. You see uh, like in Native American um, thought, right? Uh, when you would take more than was your due share, it was considered a mental illness. Uh, and I think that we've ended up in a place in modernity where we have these systems, um, be them political, be them societal, or be them specifically religious, that want to keep a hold of the power. And it ends up creating a situation of dis-ease within the world. And I think that so many people suffer from that because the, the, the thing about the institute, institution is most people are on the outside. Absolutely. The only thing that power is meant to do is to elevate those who have been taken advantage of by it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Power, power, power begets power. Power works to consolidate power. 
power works to keep the people not in power completely not in power. Yeah, it works It works to sustain itself. And we have a modern day theocracy in America where yeah. like, I, I don't mean to talk too much about America, but to me, it, in my mind, all of these things interconnect, right? Um, well, yeah, and because also because of the horrible effects of uh, colonialism and, and like the whole colonization that has happened through through you know missionary work overseas and different things like that, these American ideals have been conflated with what Christianity or the gospel is, yep. and it's completely whitewashed so many beautiful cultures, and yeah. it's caused them to feel like they're not able to be who they are either. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you even have people uh, like fucking Louis Giglio that are investing money and time to travel to places like Uganda to support anti-LGBTQ um, hate you know, hate laws, like literally there, there, there's a documentary about this. I think it was in call me Kuchu, which I could be wrong that it was from this. Cause I went on a little bit of a binge one time uh, with documentaries, which is actually not one time. That's my whole life, but uh, <laughs> there, there's some video footage of American evangelicals in specific Louis Giglio uh, traveling to Uganda to actually work with pastors to push forth anti-LGBTQ legislation. And so you have spiritual colonization. We've yeah, done yeah. that politically. That's almost obvious to anyone who, anyone who has eyes, let them see. But we've also done that religiously. Like, motherfucker, Christianity was like kind of born in Africa. And now yes. we're going to go back over as white people and reintroduce to them what we stole from them, bastardized, and now are handing back to them. Like, it's just so egocentric and it's so harmful. It's harmful to the people who they're doing it to, and it's harmful to us who are trying to come out of it. It's it's devastating. Like bad theology really kills. Mm, absolutely. And I feel like people don't want to take responsibility for that, but any religious idea is a dangerous religious idea. To quote a previous guest and friend of mine, Dr. Rachel Mikva, um, any I any religious idea is a dangerous idea, and you have to be self-critical, and you have to be careful, and you need to be heretical and ask why we are perpetuating that religious belief. Otherwise, you're just wanting, going around and clubbing people with it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and truly in its essence, I would hope for any sort of religious system to be healing, a healing bomb, mm -hmm. not a club to hit exactly. people with. Exactly. Not not something to beat someone into submission mm -hmm. to, to, to modify their behavior, right? But something to, to bring someone to a, a, a true self-actualization where That's they're right. able to be truly themselves and then in turn benefit the world around them. Because be they are who they were made to be. Absolutely. You know what I mean? In Proverbs, uh, I think it's Proverbs 13, I want to say, but it says, above all else, guard your heart is the it, for it is the wellspring of life. And people want to use that for purity culture, but I, want, I think perhaps another take on what that verse really meant was like, you were made to be someone, be that someone fiercely and protect yourself from all forces who tell you not to be who you were created to be. Yeah, I yeah. think there's some merit in that. Speaking of being who you're created to be, you mentioned earlier that you went to Bible college. I would love to hear more about that because I'll be real vulnerable. There's so much of me that just feels like I was hoodwinked. 
And there's so much of me that genuinely feels embarrassed. And I think that that's common. From what I hear, that's common of people who've survived abusive situations. Like, how did I let myself get into this standpoint? But I mean, bro, I didn't just drink the Kool-Aid. I double fisted it. And I'd love to hear about your experience with Bible college and how you are moving forward to reclaim that which could easily seem foolish, how you're, how you're making that and molding that and understanding that and integrating it into your psyche in a way that is valuable instead of shame producing. I'd love to hear some about that. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> Rachel and I met uh, at uh, the Bible college we went to. Okay. And uh, ring by spring, typical kind of thing. We you, were talking about this. Do you avoid saying the name or are you a lot like? Are, are... <laughs> I, I don't want to give them publicity. Um, okay. So, Glossing yeah. on ring by spring. <laughs> Let's just say uh, it was started by a very well-known evangelical figurehead. It's not a big school, but if I said the figurehead's name, people would know who I'm Okay. Uh, so anyway, my point is, is that, so it's very reformed. Uh, mm -hmm. So a lot of teaching through that, yeah, <laughs> through that yeah. Uh, lens. Um, I will say this, that a lot of the professors there went to John MacArthur's uh, seminary. So if that gives you any idea of yeah. sort of the angle <laughs> and bent of the theology that was regurgitated, um, there you go. Yep. I did have some, um, I will say uh, to have a more gracious sort of take on some of it. Um, I did have some very kind hearted professors that didn't all do harm. So I want right. to make that clear. Right. They unfortunately are stuck in the hyp hypnosis of a lot of that theology. Um, but I will say that, um, you know, even during some dark times, I had some professors that were very, very kind to me. Yeah, um, I think so. I think as with most cases, the the onus is on the institution, and there's yeah. all there's always bad people in the institution, but there's always good ones too. So we yeah. got to give credit where credit is due, right? Absolutely. So, but with that, um, talking about you know taking the treasure from the trash, or you know taking the meat and spit out the bones kind of thing. I, I really was able to understand a lot of church history. I, I took a class that was five semesters long. I ended up taking four out of the five semesters. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, in that experience, it gave me, I guess, a good foundation and it was called foundations, which is kind of ironic. Okay. A good foundation of understanding the history of the church and a lot of the harm that was done at the hands of the institution. And some of these patterns that kept repeating themselves over and over and over. And I feel like, again, because of that, I'm able to frame a lot of our experience now that we'll, what we're seeing in the rise and fall of evangelicalism in America, yep. we're really seeing this happen again, another sort of, uh, you know, turning of the tide. Absolutely. Um, and I want to make sure I'm on the right side of history. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. And um, so anyway, Bible college was crazy. Uh, you know, a lot of also very hard and awful things about it. Um, but at the same time, I think that it was through that, that I was able to, to still recover and hold on to this passion for, you know, helping people understand what is, what is scripture actually getting at? 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it's not needing to be weaponized like it often is. <laughs> and uh, helping to, uh, you know, make it more of a blunt edge rather than a sharp edge that's doing a lot of damage and, and tearing apart lives. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, anyway, that's that's some of my takeaway from that experience. But yeah. there has to be some sort of reclamation. Like, ah, uh, man, for me, uh, I think that the most I could claim on any given day is a Christian agnostic because you know, uh, and a reluctant one at that, reluctant only when it comes to referring to Christians, because have you met the rest of those fuckers? <laughs> they're, they're my people. <laughs> I can speak about them. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that if I'm being intellectually honest, I've, I've never seen God. I, you know what I mean? I, I can't know. Um, but there has to be, a, I have to reclaim something about that time, or I just feel like a fool. And I feel like for me, a lot of what I've learned um, is, is, you know, solidarity with the least of these and trying to, trying to work towards that and implement that in every area of my life. And I think that that's been a really hard thing for me though, because for so long, the pendulum was over here for so long that when I, you know, after my second bout with trying to get ordained and just running into situation after situation, the pendulum, the pendulum swung all the way over here. And I was not trying to ever go back. And my wife was just quietly in the corner, like loving me and saying, okay, that's where you are now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, And and then, you know, after my video went viral, she's like, maybe you should do conversations, uh, like really seriously remount it. And I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden I'm, you know, like, I'm going to, I'm getting my PhD. But there's some sort of reclamation that has to happen for me because otherwise that was just such an embarrassing failure on my part. But I think part of that process that I'm going through is knowing that I was led down that road somewhat unwittingly and letting some of that responsibility go off myself that I was taught to carry myself because I was doing the best I could with what I had at the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the only way I can sleep at night. You know what I mean? Like I've said and done some embarrassing things that really hurt some people. Yeah, me too. And I don't, I guess that that's, that's part of my own journey of deconstruction and religious trauma and healing from that is figuring out how to make that make sense in the world and, and how to heal from that. And even how to justify the fact that I owe $80,000 for a degree on like how to be a pastor. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I'm, I'm glad that you're finding a way through that in, in some redemptive value in that because it's such a heavy weight to carry. Uh, and I really hope that people who are listening to this conversation can know that you're not alone. You weren't stupid. You were doing the best you could with what you had. And now we're all going to kind of let go of this perfection aim and we're going to model right. it together and figure it out, right? Yeah, and and I just wanted to add quick a, a quick kind of tack on to yeah. what I was saying earlier. I, I really think that part of what I'm thankful for is because both formal and informal education and study that I've done has given me enough knowledge and terminology to be able to then speak back and push back against the institution and system that has done so much harm. Yes. So for me, if it's only for that, mm-hmm. uh, like I'm thankful because I don't want to see 
countless more people have to go through the same experience that I have. Mm-hmm. And granted, probably on the spectrum of people who have gone through religious trauma, I'm probably not on the the, the highest extreme form right. of it. Right. 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 And, and I, I know that. But I want to make sure that I can do whatever I can with any sort of voice that I have or I can contribute to having to be able to topple the powers at play that are preying on such precious, precious people who are either believing that they're not enough, that they can't live openly in their sexuality, that they can't uh, believe certain things theologically, whatever it may be that they feel is off limits Mm -hmm. and would cause them to not be accepted or loved by God or, or like they, they would feel like they're not able to accept themselves or whatever it may be. I want to do whatever I can to push back against the narrative that is continuing to squash so many people. And I, I, yeah. I think that that's, that's that's a, that's a lot of where I'm finding the value for myself as well is that like, you can call me names, you can misgender me, you can say this, that, or the other, but at the end of the day, I really actually do still know more than you. And that might be cocky, but no, like you're not going to get away with this, especially when you can't hold your own in a conversation about the faith that you beat people over the head with. And I, it's my hope that, um, I like to sum it up like this, like I've spent so long dealing with the church that it is time for them to have to deal with me. Um, I made a video on YouTube about how I'm the crazy gay uncle at the family reunion of Christianity. Like I'm the guy that they don't want to come to the family reunion because they can't disavow, but he's crazy. Like that's me with Christianity, right? Like, um, like I have spent so long dealing with my neck being under the boot of you motherfuckers. (laughs) Y'all got to deal with me because you can't come at me like, well, that's not in the Bible. Cause I'll be like, which version of the Bible have you read? You know what I mean? I'll be like, did you read the Greek or the Hebrew? Like, what language are we talking? Because I've read the Bible in four of them. Um, and I've read them in probably 40 translations. So so come at me, bro, is essentially my stance towards the church. Um, and if I can be that person that stands in the gap to shield people from that abuse, you can believe I'm going to do it. And evangelical Christianity is such a minority of Christianity, but they take all of the space in the conversation. So I'm trying to take a little bit of that back, you know? That's so true. That's so good. They're not gonna, they're not gonna silence any of us, right? No, no. And I think that's what I love about what's happening throughout deconstruction spaces is that people are finding their voice. Absolutely. They've Absolutely. been they've been choked for so long, muzzled for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, gaslit for so long to question their or to doubt their experience to uh, you know disbelieve what they're observing to um, you know backpedal when they start to piece things together now we're like enough is enough no more I'm I'm done with this bullshit and you're not going to tell me otherwise absolutely I agree with that so that's where, that's where I'm at. I mean, you're, you're not going to tell me otherwise, period. And you're not going to tell them otherwise, because I've been given a certain amount of gifts in terms of communication, uh, ability to communicate under pressure and ability to kind of have a thick skin. And so I've got to use them because there are people who are in the same vein as us, right? But they're never going to feel comfortable challenging the institution. So like, 
game on. You know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> well, we've about hit an hour here. It looks like an hour and two minutes and 37 seconds to be exact. So I want to respect your time, uh, send you back to, to hang out with your lovely wife. I, I'm going to go hang out with mine. But I would like to um, say, you know, I, I like to end every podcast with two questions. The second one's going to be your contact information. So don't sweat that one. But, but before that, I would love for you to let me know, is there, if there is one thing uh, or, or one kind of idea that you want people to take away from this conversation, uh, what would you want them to remember or to take away or to act upon or, you know, et cetera? Wow. Um, I know, I like to just ask tiny, tiny little bite-sized questions. Yeah, right? No pressure. <laughs> um, well, I mean, honestly, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ironically, I, I, I honestly, ironically, there is no pressure no. for you, no matter where you are in your spirituality or non-spirituality, atheist or well, whoever, no matter where you are, there is no pressure to conform to a mold. You are free to be who you are. And I hope that no matter where you are, what you believe, what you, what you see and think about the world and yourself, the divine, that you know you're loved and you are enough. I'm done. I'm just going to hit end right now. Um, no, that's perfect. And that, that's it. There really isn't. Like you come to this thing as you and that is enough for all of it, right? That's the thing. I want to fall asleep thinking about that tonight in like two hours because I get so amped up by conversations I can't sleep. Um, <laughs> so can you do me a favor, Derek? And could you please let, uh, here is your chance to, to shamelessly plug as much as you want. Uh, how can <laughs> folks get in touch with you? How can they get involved with your work? How can they support you? Um, lay it all out there for us. Yeah, you know, if you could send a carrier pigeon and somehow it makes it to me, I would be so impressed and I would want to meet you in person. So if someone no. wants a carrier pigeon, somehow, some way, just tell the it's gonna pigeon. It's going to happen one of these days. Keep putting Spread your out. wings and fly to the heretics. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, no, but you can find us on Instagram at your favorite heretics. Uh, that's where we're most active. We are um, on Twitter. Um, Rachel's handle on Twitter is Rachel's a heretic. Uh, mine is Derek the heretic, keeping with the theme. Yep. Um, same on, um, on TikTok, Derek the heretic. And uh, so yeah, that and Rachel on TikTok is Carrot Slayer with two R's at the end. So there's- I follow both of you. So I, can I ask where Carrot Slayer came from? So I'm just like curious. Yes. So um, (laughs) Rachel was actually vegan for, I think a little over 10 years. Um, And uh, she chose that as like her AIM name or something like that. Okay. Okay. And then it kind of became a moniker. Her friends used to call her as a nickname. So Carrot Slayer <laughs> just kind of stuck. She has Perfect. a carrot tattoo on her ear. Uh, um, so anyway, so thank Carrot you for Slayer. Scratching that itch. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that that's, that's the story behind that. But yeah, your favorite heretics on Instagram is probably the best spot to stay uh, connected to our work. For merch that I mentioned like this, or uh, no, I don't want to grab coffee and some other stuff as well. Just go to yourfavoriteheretics.com. Uh, you can check on our uh, check out our stuff there. 
And then we also have a really, really amazing Facebook community group. I think we're nearing 3,000 wonderful people on our private, uh, confidential Facebook group. So no matter where you are, whether you're atheist and want nothing to do with religion, or you're like, I can't shake this Christian label and I'm trying to reclaim my faith, which I, I can totally relate. Yep. Um, no matter where you're at in the spectrum, it's it's a wonderful space. We, we, we love encouraging people to share, you know, anything from a lighthearted meme to, hey, this is a real big struggle. I don't know how to approach this sort of thing. So awesome. it's been such a special group and I've, I've, I'm so thankful for it. Um, so yeah. That's awesome. our shameless little plug. <laughs> do you folks have a YouTube also? We do have a YouTube page. We have not been as active on it. So this okay. is kind of a good little kick in the butt to say we do have a few videos on there. All right. Check out. Um, so you can you can look up your favorite heretics on YouTube as well. Perfect. Um, but our hope is to eventually start kicking back up conversations. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, bring on different people. Also have some conversations between Rachel and I. Um, Absolutely. Those are fun too. So yeah, we'll, we'll probably get back to that sometime. Awesome. We'll keep our eyes out for it. So Derek, it has been a pleasure. Uh, hopefully next time we do this, we get to meet Rachel. Tell her I said hello. I and will, yeah. um, I, you know, if, if you ever need someone to talk, like I know a guy, so. <laughs> but, but seriously, thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you do. I found you guys kind of early on in my just uh, deconstruction. And I was like, my whole goal has been to get labeled a heretic, which happens very quickly, really, when you come out. Um, but I, you know, I, I might even graduate to apostate status. I've got that a couple of times, so I think I can claim it. But um, it is, yeah. you know, always infinitely comforting to me to know I'm not the only one uh, going through this. And it is also exciting to see you doing the work you can with what you have where you are. So thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for joining us tonight. Leo, it's been such a pleasure. I, I feel like I've made a new friend and I, I'm uh, really, really thankful for everything that you're doing and so, so love your story and all the work that you're after as well. So uh, I know this will be the first of, of many future conversations. I'll take you, take you up on that. Um, everybody who's watched, thank you so much. This has been Conversations. We come together regularly and intentionally to facilitate spiritually minded conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter where you want to go, this is a place for you and your voice matters. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, we'll see you next week here. You can also check us out on YouTube at Conversations Official. You can check out conversationsofficial.com um, uh, we do have some merch on there. We are also available. Uh, there's an option for you to help support us on Patreon. All of those things are listed on conversationsofficial.com. And of course, you can check out the Facebook anytime. And we also have a, a Facebook group called Conversations Official Group. So feel free to check it out. Um, but the most important thing is that whoever's watching this right now, that you know that you're not alone, that you find your people, uh, and that you are able to be loved and accepted and to grow and become whole, uh, no matter what page it's on. So thank you for watching, everybody. Buddy Derek, thank you for joining us, and I can't wait to talk to all of you again. Have a good night. This has been the Conversations Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions or comments or just want to get involved, feel free to join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Conversations Official on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining the conversation.